good morning everyone welcome to home builders glad you're here today if you could read with me it's first thessalonians 2 4. instead just as we have been approved by god to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak not to please men but rather god who examines our hearts we're going through a series on the ten commandments and this we did there was so much content last week in this lesson we weren't able to get through it which is not uncommon but i'm trying to get through these commandments uh, together uh, in a lesson, but we're, we're able to. Not in large verse, Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal, but it has a lot of ramifications, and it has a lot of impact in the choices that we make. Um, and I last week we talked about locking our doors and why we do that. You know, in a society, we're afraid of being stolen from. We lock our car doors, we lock our houses, we lock our sheds, we realize the fact that if someone wants to get in, they can basically get in. Because some people have alarm systems in their homes, uh, and other things because we want to be protected from our things being taken from us. Okay, and uh, you know, even at times, I mean, how many of you have ever, at some point, traveled internationally? Okay, have you ever taken your wallet or something and put it in a different location to protect it? Absolutely, because you're told these are pickpockets, and this is what happens here. It, and whether it's in the U.S. or anywhere in the world, it can happen any in any culture in any country. And people do that kind of stuff, so we get nervous about that. And so when we talk about worry and fear regarding this issue, we're talking about something, a sin, that impacts our people around the world. And it can impact us ourselves. I mean, Cheryl and I were robbed. How many, I didn't ask that, I don't think, last week, how many of you have ever been robbed? Yeah, and those are scary things. Those are things, some of it was done without our knowing, others were with, uh, that we did know. And we talked last week about property ownership. Now, if, if, you know, in communism, nobody owns anything. <laughs> the state owns everything. And so from that perspective, other than what you consider to be your own, it really isn't. Because anything can be taken away from you. But in a culture, in a society like America, aren't you grateful to live in America? Where we have freedoms like this to be able to own a property, to be able to have stuff. But when we do, when we consider this concept from a spiritual perspective, we're not owners, we're stewards. And there's a difference then of a, ment a mental approach that we take when it comes to these types of issues. And we go, wait a minute now, God is the owner of everything. All good things come from the Father above. All good things come from the Father of lights. And he doesn't withhold that from us. And those good things come from God. So everything, whether it's my intellect, my ability to think, my ability to earn a living, my ability to drive, my ability to build or to be creative, or everything that I have that's positive, the fact that I can go to a classroom and teach next Monday, a week from tomorrow, is, is not because of anything special. It's because of God. It's not about Lou, it's about God giving that ability. And so when, when we use what God has given to us in whatever we do, okay, to provide for ourselves, for our family, to take care of our homes, to take care of our property, or whatever the case may be, Psalm 24 once says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who lives in it, okay? And for those of you who are not here last week, I gave off, we gave, uh, uh, 
Aaron gave out lesson sheets and we printed those off. Does anyone need a lesson sheet for today? Did anyone not receive one? Just lift your hand up and we'll get one to you. If you did, wonderful. But that way you have it so you can look through these because we're going to be going through these first half of this lesson very quickly, okay? God owns everything and God expects us to be trustworthy with us. God holds us accountable. You can read the scripture on the screen. God holds us accountable for what we have. In other words, do you take care of what God has given to you? Are you held accountable for God for how you take care of what you own? Your car? Do you change the oil? Do you take care of it? And I'm not talking about being overly sensitive to the specifics of your car and worshiping your car or your home or your stuff. But do you take care of what you have? And I think we are held accountable for God for doing that. Because how can God allow us the privilege of managing spiritual things if we can't take care of earthly things? God requires us to respect another person's property, okay? How we handle something from God is important. How we handle what God has given to us is very important. How can he trust you with true riches if you can't take care of what he's given to you or someone else's property? Okay. And we do that on an earthly level. How do you take care of your stuff at, at your work? What you do for your career? How do you take care of for those of you who are teachers in here? How do you take care of those children? How do you actually teach them and how do you lead them? For those of you who work in companies, for those of you who don't and you're retired, how do you take care of your neighbors, the people that are around you? How do you take care of that property? Because how you live your life will be important. How is this command broken that you should not steal? What's the meaning of this? In Exodus 22, 29 to 31, Ezekiel is addressing the issue of how people were robbing one another, how they were stealing from one another, how they were committing robbery and extortion. God holds us accountable how we take care of people. How we treat people is extremely important. How we treat, treat our neighbor. Those of you who are in business, how do you do business? For those of us who teach, how what, what is the quality of education that I'm providing or do I steal, rob from my students because I just don't feel like being a good teacher today? That's, that's theft. That's theft of their time, their money that, that, that they're either investing, most of them are someone else's money they're investing, but I have a responsibility to provide the best quality education. That's why I get frustrated. <laughs> I'm doing this a little too much lately. I think COVID's hitting me in ways I shouldn't. You know, it was like I had a student, online student, email me this past week, and they made this comment. And I was, I have to admit, I got angry. And I wasn't angry with the student. I was angry with my peers. And here's what she said. She earned almost a B on her paper. And I was being gracious. <laughs> and she said this, I was devastated at the grade that you gave me on my paper. 
I have never received less than 100% on any other paper I have ever submitted. Now, she had only been in class. <laughs> she'd only, she's, she's only taken, you know, less than, I think around five classes. This is like her sixth class. So she hasn't had a lot of experience with Liberty Online. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't say uh, why my colleagues uh, provided that other than the fact that they want to get a good evaluation from you, but I've been doing this long enough that I don't care. I said, I said, my greatest desire is for you to learn and grow academically. And she came back and said, thank you for caring about my education. I appreciate that and I understand. I looked at your comments and I understand why you gave me a C. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I'm stealing from my students if I don't help them to grow academically. Because what if she had a desire to go on for a master's? What if she desired to do something more with her life, unlike a colleague that was, I know that was fired this past week, and someone asked them the question, how can you not write? And his response was, my wife wrote all my papers in the undergraduate and graduate levels for me. Moving along, <clears throat> kidnapping, selling someone into slavery, sex trafficking, trafficking of all kinds. It's a problem in our culture and in our nation, and we need to address it, we need to end it. But it involves people getting involved and caring about what takes place, stealing from employers. We talked about how this occurs. We are, we are to be subject to our, those in authority over us. We're not addressing the issue of slavery, but th this issue of slavery, as I mentioned last week, was not the endorsement of slaves by any sense of the imagination, but in the culture in which they lived, there were slaves becoming followers of Jesus. How was that that slave was not going to be able to go, I'm a Christian, you've got to free me? Because they had pagan owners. How was that slave then to treat their master? Like Jesus. To honor them and value them. To shock them. Why do you care? Because Jesus changed my life. And who knows what your testimony, even as a slave, can do to a slave owner. And how we treat those around us, whether you're in a secular environment or a Christian environment, how we treat people is extremely important. But employ employers can also steal from employees. And God is going to hold us who are employers accountable for how we treat our employees. Do we treat them with the value and respect that they all deserve because every human being has been created in the image of God. God's image. And when I treat somebody with disrespect, if I speak down to them, if I hurt them emotionally or physically or anything that I do, I am affecting the image of God. And it will reach the ears of the Lord God Almighty. Not working for a living when we can. Laziness. 
saying, no, I, I can make more in another way. I will be immoral in my choices so that I can not have to do this. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, we're not in a theocracy today, okay? We're under America's government, and the people around the world follow the rules of those governments. And unfortunately, in America today, we provide incentives for people not to be married. We provide incentives for people not to work. And that is a, a disdain on our culture. It is against what we're trying to do to really accomplish what God has called us to do. Taking advantage of people financially, Proverbs 11, 1, the Lord detests us on a scale, but accurate weights find favor with him. Do we treat people honestly? Are we giving them a fair price for what we have? Amos 8, 4, 5 says, Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and, and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat, skipping on the measure, boasting the price, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales? They, they, they weren't able to sell on the Sabbath day. It was like, man, I can't wait till this day gets over so I can go back to doing what I want to do. I'm not going to honor the Sabbath day. You know, I have to have to do it because it's culturally acceptable. But man, when is this going to be over so I can rip people off? How do we how do we treat them? This is where that's where we left off last week. So we start anew this week. Failing to pay debts. Psalm 37, 21. Someone read that for me. Again, we live in a culture in which we provide incentives for people not to pay things back. And now there are some legitimate, wonderful things. For, for example, those who have um, are, are in a system where if you work at it for a nonprofit for 10 years, your, your debt, the rest of your debt is canceled. My problem, though, is those that go into massive debt knowing that they're going to go into the system to take advantage of the system. They, they don't use it for their, they borrow money for, not for their education, for their specific need, for other things. I've got family who have done that, who have been to Rome, who have been to Disney World three times a year for nearly 10 years on government loans. And when I confronted my family member about it, they said, I said, how can you do that? He goes, you'll pay for it through your taxes. Thank you very much. It seems like those who work hard get punished. Those who do things right can get punished in our culture. And it's wrong. And God will judge those in authority who put that in. Romans 13, 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Again, that does not mean that bankruptcy is wrong. There are people who have come into a situation where there is nothing else they can do. But I've also had brothers and sisters in Christ intentionally who did not own anything, rented, did not own their vehicles, and ultimately said, we are racking up as much as we can on our credit cards, get, taking out as many credit cards as we can, because ultimately what we're going to do is we're going to go into bankruptcy. We don't own anything. They can't take anything from us. So we're just going to max it out. God knows the heart. God knows what's going on. 
tax evasion. Mark 12, 14 and 17, they, they came to him and said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Jesus said to them, Romans 13, 7, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and God was God's. And they were amazed at him. See, it, it, there, there are times when the government will demand of us taxes. Even if we have to pay 11.5% in the city of Lynchburg to go out to eat. You do what you're required by the law to do. Even if it's unjust. Because ultimately, our, this world is not about that. For the Christian, it's about reflecting Jesus Christ in everything that we do. How we treat the waiter or waitress is more important than, than our grumbling about the taxes, though I hate it. How we treat those people that are around us, and whether we, we are honest, because let me tell you, honesty goes right through the character of the heart. When you become an unjust, lying citizen, it is something that will destroy who you are as a person. None of us like it. And it may get worse. Stealing from God. Malachi 3.8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Now, I, again, I get this. This is from Malachi. This is the Old Testament. But remember, Jesus was being confronted again by the, the scribes and Pharisees. He's talking to them. And he says, you hypocrites, you tie the mint, anise, and cumin, which you should have done, but you neglected the weightier matters of the law. In other words, the law is still there. He says, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. So in other words, he's not, I'm not coming to do away with this perspective. You don't live by the law, you live by grace. So it's, it's not that you're not, it's the issue of not tithing, it's the issue of what are you doing, okay, that's even weightier that's in your own life. Yeah, is tithing important? Is giving to God offerings important? Absolutely. And I, I don't think God will bless you if you choose to, to rob him. I just don't, I don't. However, that's not the weightiest matters of the law. That's not as important as loving people. You can't say, well, I'm righteous because I gave my tithe today. Hallelujah. And then treat your spouse like, like dirt. God will judge that. He's not going to say, ooh, you tithe. I love you. You can treat your spouse any way you want to. You can treat your, your neighbor any way you want to. Who cares? You tithe. No. Okay? God's going to hold us accountable for how we take care of people. So what's the impact of stealing? It impacts others. The sin of Achan in Joshua 7. Remember the story of Achan? They destroyed the city of Ai. But they were supposed to destroy everything and not to steal, not to steal anything for themselves. But Achan... Take some of the, the booty, if I can use that term, and hides it where? Huh? 
his dwelling place. And it's like, and all of a sudden they start losing in battle. Uh, what happened here? I don't know, but now I thought you were on our side. What's going on here? This is wrong. I mean, you're, you're for us, and now we're being destroyed. Um, there's sin in the camp. And then they, by tribe, gets everybody together, and it comes down to the family of Achan. What did you do? I'm sorry. But what did he do? To the, what did God do to the family? They they were destroyed. The earth sunk out between them. Okay, we can move on now. Did Achan's sin choice matter? Did his sin impact his family? Now, was God unjust? No. And I guarantee you. His family knew about it. The same type of situation that occurred in the New Testament, right? With Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias, everybody's, hey, we're going to get to a communal idea. Everything we have is going to be yours. And what you have is mine. Everybody's good. We're great. But they're keeping that part of it. Did, did, did you sold your house, right? Yeah. And is this how much you sold your house for? Oh, absolutely. Liar. You kept that part for yourself. <sighs> okay, yep. Instantly, God kills him. They drag his body out. A few minutes later, his wife comes in. Uh, just out of curiosity, is this what you sold the house for? <laughs> yeah. The people who drug your husband's body out is going to drag yours out too. And God killed her too. I don't think that the family of Achan was unaware of what was going on with daddy. Hey, let's keep some of the, the gold and silver for ourselves. Woohoo! We'll be rich. We'll, be, we'll have more than them. Our sin impacts others. May the Lord remind me of that every single morning. Lou, your choices matter. May he do the same with all of us. It burdens others. Leviticus 19.13. Will someone read that? When we hold back, what is our response? We steal from them. It impacts their family. How we treat them. Yeah, I owe them this. I'll get it to them eventually. How do we know what's going on in their life? That money may be essential for them if it's theirs, if they've earned it. It brings shame and disgrace. Jeremiah 2, 26a. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. You see, that's what we... The question is... is when will I get caught? And that's, that's the danger of living in sin. We begin to think, oh, I've been, I've been doing this for so long, and I've never gotten caught. God must not care. Just like my story uh, when I was a kid, and I went down to the golf course because my dad had done something. I was ticked off with my father, and I cursed. 
And I ducked because I thought God was going to hit me with lightning, and he didn't. And then I cursed louder, the same bad word that I had learned in school. And, and then this time I fell to the ground and, you know, thinking, duck, you know, and nothing happened. And then I said it, screamed it, and fell to the ground and rolled, and nothing happened. I saw people do that on TV at work, you know. But God didn't do anything. So God must not care. That was my thought. I was, I hadn't, I was under, you know, nine. I hadn't been saved yet. I didn't have that heart that understood that kind of stuff. But I wondered, does God really care about my sin if he doesn't kill me? Now, you don't say that or think that, but do we live that? Well, if God really is serious about this, he wouldn't let me get away with it. No, I have been hit by a golf ball, but no, not that time. No one hit me with a golf ball. Yeah, I'm thankful for that one. My uncle was on the tee, and I was off to an angle, and he literally hit off the back of the, off the uh, the tip of the uh, uh, the head of the golf club, and it literally hit me right here. So we were probably I was probably 15 feet away from him. It went. Oh, that was close. God is always just and fair. It can lead to lying and other sins. John 12, 4, four to 6. Someone read that for me. Judas Iscariot did later? We all know. So he's, he's stealing from the purse to give to the poor and later he deceives his own Lord and sins by giving him a kiss to betray him. Do you think his life ended well? He went out and killed himself. Guilt and destroy us emotionally. But understand this, God's grace is always available. Stealing can lead to punishment. Romans 13, 1 and 2, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Boy, don't you hate that verse in our culture today? Governor Northam. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Whew. Now, God raises and lowers authorities for reasons. And he does that to praise as well as to punish. God can in his sovereignty do what he will. That does not mean though, and I want to make this very clear, 
Oh, God's already going to choose who he's going to, I don't have to vote. No, God uses every single one of us to be faithful. God calls us to be faithful, and he puts in place who he will. Okay? It will be lost in the end. Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. And they didn't even have compounding interest back then. But the principle's there. This honest money, money dwindles away. How? God takes care of that. When we take things that are on our own, he will take care of us through it all. So what should we do if we've stolen something? Confess your sin to God. And when we can read First John 1 9, someone say it as you've memorized it. But we have to do what first before he forgives us? Confess. The word confess means to agree with God. I agree what I've done is wrong and sinful. I have broken your laws. Forgive me. Okay? That's confession. We confess our sins to the one affected. James 5, 16. Someone read that for me. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We confess our faults to one another. We confess our sins. Matthew 18 also provides some guidance to this. So I didn't write this in here, but Matthew 18 provides the guidance for if you have been sinned against and, no, and they haven't come to you. You go to them privately, not on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. You know, you privately go to them and say, what you did offended me. And the person who is confronted should repent and confess. Whether they agree with you or not. Arguing isn't the issue. It's like, if if Cheryl comes to me and says, Lou, when you said that, that bothered me, that offended me. You shouldn't have said that. That was a boulder. It wasn't a pebble. It wasn't a stone. That was a boulder. That hurt. I don't start justifying, well, the other day you said this. What does that have to do with the argument of what I did to her? It's a red herring. It's a side issue that doesn't matter. The issue is, is that she's asked me, she's given me information that I'm going to respond to. Honey, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Boy, I'm grateful that I don't have anything to confess right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Wait till later. <laughs> Give me enough time in the day. But let me also say this. What a gift that you can give somebody that confesses their sins to you. But let me just say this. What does it say? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's you who are hearing the confession. The acceptance of your brother or sister in Christ and your prayer for them. Because remember, it's not about you. It's about getting them right with God.
And if you truly love them, your prayer over them, the prayer of forgiveness, the prayer of grace, the prayer of unconditional love, frees them to be who God created them to be. It's when we put up walls, division. We don't allow that relationship to be rebuilt. It would be as if you came home from a vacation and the plant that you assumed would be fine is drooping and wilted and dying because of a lack of water. What do you do? Do you proclaim, I just don't have a green thumb and let it die? I didn't like it anyways. You could do the same thing in a relationship. You can see this person who hasn't been satisfied, who hasn't been provided the nutrition of love and grace and mercy and been taken care of, provided the fertilizer necessary for life. We haven't been saying and doing the right things and they're wilted. But let's say that person says, you know what, I am so sorry. I'm going to go get water. And you water the plant and you fertilize the plant and you take care of that plant. Can you imagine a plant that would say, no, I don't want to be provided for. I don't want to be taken care of. I'm going to die anyway. Plants don't do that. They go, thank you. And they start going like this immediately. If you've ever seen a plant that's going like this and you water it, It comes back to life. It's vibrant. But when we go, no, I don't need your prayer. I don't want your prayer. I don't want your nutrition. I don't want your love. I don't want you to take care of me. That's our choice. And we just die. Plants don't even do that. But humans do. They just don't want to be back in a relationship. Make restitution if possible. Numbers 5, 5 to 7. Someone read that for me. Apparently, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. We don't use that kind of terminology today because that's not uh, you know, very tolerant or you know, uh, science-sensitive or whatever, you know. So he climbs up in the sycamore tree to see Jesus. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to eat dinner with you. And the religious people went, what? He's a prophet. He should know better. If he really was a prophet, he would know who he was talking to. That sinner. Aren't you glad Jesus loves sinners? 
am. I'm one of them. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, this is at dinner. Here and now, I'm going to give half of my possession to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. I don't have it here. But remember what Jesus said? Salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus today. In other words, salvation impacts what we do. My question for myself, how has my salvation impacted the way I treat people? Choose to work and be generous. Ephesians 4.28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do you in your budgets set aside a portion, even small, for others? Not your tithe, but for others. So that they may, you may be able to meet needs when they arise. You know, God has called us to be stewards of what he's given to us. And he wants to bless our lives. God loves a cheerful giver and not a thief. So how we take care of each other, how we do what God has called us to do is important. And the choices that we make matters. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for making choices in our past that have been dishonoring to others and to you through our finances, through our the way we treat people, the way we uh, provide, uh, Lord, for the things that we do, Lord, help us to realize that our choices matter. We love you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that illumines our minds and may help us to know maybe where we're doing this now and haven't realized it. May you be our teacher, may you, that your Holy Spirit continue to guide and direct us and we'll be careful to give you the praise for anything good that happens. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week, and I'll see you next Sunday, Lord willing, in living proof. God bless you all.